Warning. This episode contains a couple of brief swears. stories that did make it. I'm Hillary B. Bisniecks. Listeners, I'm very excited personally to be checking off another author bingo square for myself for this show uh, by introducing Ruthanna Emrys. Ruthanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, I had not conceived of this podcast when I first read Wintertide, but as soon as I conceived of this podcast, I was like, I want, I want her on this show. So I'm very glad that uh, that's actually been, well, actualized now. Um, so we're here today to talk about your new novel, A Half-Built Garden, which will be out uh, at some point in the future. I definitely... July 26th. Perfect. Uh, will be out July 26th. I meant to look that up before I started, and then I forgot. Uh, is there anything we need to know before we get into this excerpt? Um, I don't think there's anything that... Well, I suppose it depends. Would you like me to read the first chapter, which is my usual reading, or the second chapter, which has aliens in it? I think the second chapter. All right, so in that case, what you need to know is that Judy Wallach Stevens uh, is up late with a small child and therefore has been on call for water quality management for the Chesapeake Bay Watershed Network. And there has suddenly been an emergency call, uh, which she brings the kid out to in the hopes that it will get them to go to bed and in the (laughs) expectation that it's a false alarm. It is not a false alarm. It is an alien spaceship that is dropping some of its waste into the Potomac. (laughs) I would say we love to see it, but that seems (laughs) suboptimal. If you're a water quality, if you're a water quality manager, you're kind of annoyed to see it. Um, the spaceship is putting out signals of various human music, which, after some discussion with uh, people around the world trying to crowdsource what is this and what are they trying to do, they determine are all uh, pieces of music from various pieces of broadcast media involving (laughs) friendly aliens. (laughs) And now they're trying to figure out what to do next. Fantastic. So she's out there with her wife, Carol, and um, her daughter, Dory, and a bunch of people who are sort of the 2083 equivalent of call a friend, try to figure out how to solve this problem. (laughs) Nice. Carol, I said, weren't you working on a radio transmitter for your sweater swarm? Could we mod that to send a response? (laughs) Yeah, but I didn't bring my sewing kit. I brought the diaper bag. Maybe a Theo and Dinar could drag it over? Or we could ask the network if someone nearby has one. 
Already in it came a network response while Carol was still trying to work out a plan with her co-parents. <laughs> they don't want to wake up Raven, she said. It's one thing to come out here with Dory and find, she waved at the spaceship. But another to wake up a toddler with a runny nose and bring them someplace you know might be dangerous, yeah. Even if Raven, at almost two, was more likely to appreciate the experience. But Atheo and Dinar had only moved in a month before Dory was born, and Raven was just learning to call us Mom and Ema. Wasn't our decision to make. I bounced on my toes, jiggling Dory and shaking out my nervous excitement. I watched the network traffic as people arranged to bring in a radio transmitter, more sensors, a better sample kit than the one I'd packed for basic nutrient protocols. I tried to think of something to do in the meantime. You think they can see us? I asked. I tried to imagine how we'd look to an observer who'd never met humans before. Two hairless primates standing side by side, one carrying an infant. Would they notice that Carol was taller and broader across the shoulders, or that my eyes were brown where hers were hazel? Would they even be able to separate us from our tools? Understand that my denim and Carol's cotton dress were clothes rather than skin? that Dory's infant curls were part of her while the smart male mesh helmeting our adult scalps came off at night. <laughs> we don't even know if they have eyes, said Carol. She hugged me, and I realized that I was shivering in the clear winter night. Her touch brought the world beyond the palace back into focus. The bare-limbed maples and pawpaws, the dry, whispering grass, the splash of the Potomac against the cliffs. Dory, head resting heavy and warm against my chest. I breathed a moment of miraculous stillness, about to break against the unknown. Mm. Amid the shiver of the alien construct, near the base of the closest peak, something moved. I flicked back to night vision, added a standoff chemical scan. We clung more closely. What are we doing here? I whispered. We're not qualified for this. Hmm. I've repped the Chesapeake in carbon negotiations one time. She shrugged against me. I marveled at the familiarity of human anatomy, that I could read her thoughts in that little shift of muscle. More than I've got, she said, unless you count dickering over yarn and circuits. <laughs> but we're here and no one else is. We'd better not fuck it up. <sighs> against the spill of warmth, 87 degrees Fahrenheit, a spectrum of steam and oxygen and nitrogen and remnant volatiles. A warmer figure scrabbled. I held my breath, squinted irrationally, and upped the light gain on my vision. Creature, alien, person, that had to be the right word, stepped mm -hmm. lightly down the side of the palace and into the rock and scrub of our world. They were long where we were tall. A dozen narrow limbs supported a body scaled like a pangolin's. More limbs flared or pointed at the ends, spread from the sides of their torso back toward a broad, flat tail. There wasn't enough light to tell color, but the shade of their scales varied, mottled dark and pale. Two large eye stalks bulged from the sides of what I decided to assume was a head. Smaller sensory organs dotted the head in complex patterns and diffused down their back. I swallowed. The realization that I was still recording, that my next sentence would be remembered for as long as humans kept records, froze my thoughts and my tongue. The alien tucked their tail under themselves and rolled back so that they lay rocking on the curve of their own body, 
Limbs scrabbled to sweep pebbles from beneath, and they tapped their dark belly. Small antennae or cilia covered the glistening skin there revealed. I caught my breath. Clinging to those cilia were two miniature versions of the alien. One bent its head back, twisting sideways to point an eye at me. It let out a whistling warble, which the other echoed at lower pitch. Mm-hmm. Dory twisted her own head around, lips parted in delight. Bah! <laughs> That's for history, I told her. I knelt down to match the alien's new height, and Carol joined me. Welcome to Earth. What's your name? <laughs> the alien brought two pairs of limbs together, drawing one across the other like a bow. Pitched oddly, but clearly comprehensible, I heard, These are diamond and chlorophyll. I am cytosine. What's your name? Kids first, apparently. This is Dory. I'm Judy Wallach-Stevens, and this is my wife, Carol. Music spilled from cytosine's limbs. We understand each other. Yes, you've been listening to us? But of course they had, watching our movies, picking up our broadcasts, well over a century's worth of stories and school videos and documentaries and news. What were they like to follow all that and still want to meet us? (laughs) Yes, that's how we learn. You haven't heard our songs yet, but you are far advanced and we didn't dare wait. It's reassuring to know you're civilized like us. Wait, what? (laughs) I thought. Beside me, Carol stiffened. But whatever Q had made them call us civilized, I didn't want to admit confusion. (laughs) If they were anything like humans, the other side of that line could be unpleasant, maybe even fatal. I heard a ride door slam and someone walking down the path. This discussion was about to get a lot less controllable. (sighs) We're glad to have you here, I said at last. I hesitated, not wanting to claim unfounded authority. I'm present for the Chesapeake Bay Watershed Network. May I ask who you're present for? Simulated human laughter drawn from Cytosine's bowstring limbs, somehow eerier than words produced the same way. Yes, of course. I'm first mother of the solar flare, limbs pointed at the spaceship behind them. Here on behalf of all the families of the rings, we can help you escape this world. I pulled Dory close. Escape it? Why? Scenarios tumbled through my mind. An incoming comet missed by our scant satellites, methane reservoirs breaching their tenuous tissue of permafrost and geoengineered shields, or Cytosine's people teleporting 9 billion people to safety before <laughs> appropriating Earth for their own purposes. Hello, called a voice behind me. Radio Free Terra is on the... Oh, shit. The newcomer. <laughs> Bearded and thickly built and wearing a they-them badge, set down a box of equipment and gaped. You're late, Carol told them. We're past exchanging radio signals and on to... She trailed off, and I wasn't sure how she should finish that sentence either. The cytosine, this is Redbug. They build old-style radios like you used to send those songs. Probably the solar flare had simulated the radio electronics with some sort of advanced computer. Then again, maybe they had a geek in the depths of their ship who enjoyed tinkering with circuits as much as Carol did. (laughs) I pictured a beaver pangolin hunched over a workbench, swearing at uncooperative flyers. Whether cytosine intended threat or apocalyptic warning, their people must be as weird and varied as us. The thought kept me from spinning off into flights of panic speculation. 
but the distraction served another purpose. I posted the question to the network. If there was a comment, someone could redirect telescopes. High methane readings would trigger a cobweb of dispersed sensors. Query sent, I steadied myself. Why do you think we need to escape? Cytosine curled more tightly, stroking diamond and chlorophyll. Mirroring my embrace of Dory? All species must leave their birth worlds, or give up their technological development, or die. You are very close. Is that a philosophical statement, or are we facing a specific danger? Redbug glanced between us, obviously fascinated, but also obviously even more nervous than I was. I'm just going to be over here setting up a base station, okay? <laughs> Carol waved them toward an open patch of moss-covered rock. Cytosine had been rocking a little. Thinking? Philosophy and empirical observation. Species breed out into vacuum or die amid their own poisons at the level of technology you have now. All of them? Carol had that tone in her voice, the one that caused sensible people to back up and scurry for citations. This is the fourth world we visited after picking up signals, and the first world we've arrived in time. Maybe because we're doing something right, I suggested, more sharply than I'd meant to. Never done this before, don't fuck it up. Because you're closer. Your planet is 160 light years from the rings. We could build a tunnel as soon as we found your signal and arrive within the survival window. Why won't you believe me? That rocking again. Frustration, maybe, or anger. Your world is pushing the edge of your species' temperature range. Your seas are scarred by barren patches. Your atmosphere is out of balance. Have you not noticed? Of course we've noticed, I said. We've been doing something about it. Worlds aren't meant to support technological species. They're birthing burrows, not warrens. Their voice rose in exasperation. How closely had they studied us to catch the melody of our language as well as the words? Mm -hmm. What should we make of that effort? Chlorophyll let out a high, keening cry. They didn't sound much like a human baby, more like a miserable cricket, but the distress was unmistakable. Diamonds joined in at lower pitch. Then Dory, of course. I busied myself trying to comfort her, grateful for the respite. Perhaps that was why Cytosine had brought their own kids out. The children had diffused a tense diplomatic parlay. A few arguments at those carbon negotiations would have benefited from the interruption. I think she's hungry, suggested Carol. Them too. I saw what she meant. Cytosine's belly glistened more brightly, and two long, triple-forked tongues licked out across it. Shrugging, I pulled down the side of my shirt and let Dory suckle as well. I shivered and pulled the wrap close. Aching warmth pulsed between us, pulling me back to practicalities. Look, I said to Cytosine, leaving aside the, the philosophy, what are you actually asking us to do? Limbs scraped out speech. Leave and join us. The hell, said Carol. I put a hand on her. We will share everything we've learned, continued Cytosine. We will show you how to build tractable environments, make space around your star to grow and thrive. We will show you the secrets of tunneling. We'll make new symbioses together amid the great cloud of worlds. We will be sisters. My sisters don't usually come to my house and demand I move out. That sounds pretty exciting. What are you going to do with the Earth after we move out? Cytosine rocked back, eliciting squeaks of complaint. I told you, we're a technological species too. We aren't meant for life on worlds. 
I took a deep breath, held Dory tighter. What are you going to do if we say no? More rocking. I don't know. We thought you were like us. At this point, I wanted on record. I pinged the network telling them that this was beyond my skill set, <laughs> that we needed to identify the most experienced negotiators from every network, and that I'd try to wind things down until we could get a proper team in the ground. And the network agreed. I tried not to get too distracted by the thread traffic, which hadn't yet surfaced any useful suggestions about what I should say, but was neck deep in critique of what I had said. A few more people joined us on the island, but they were all tech experts. They'd tracked my feed, but joined Redbug in setting up an impromptu base camp. They were swearing in urgent whispers over tent pegs and screens, arguing over equipment requirements. It looked gloriously restful and easy. Coral light etched the river, and I'd gotten about two hours of sleep. Exhaustion muffled my reactions. Once I'd had a chance to nap, surreality would give way to awe or terror or the paralysis of fully understanding what I'd done. But by then, I hoped, it would be someone else's job. Spoiler, <gasps> it is not someone else's job. <laughs> oh, that is delightful. I am Thank so you. excited for this book. So one of the like classic book tour questions uh, that I have to ask is, without spoiling too much at least, uh, do you have any favorite bits that uh, you got to leave into your uh, leave in your book that uh, made it to this final draft? Favorite bits. Um, so there are two types of aliens. They're symbiotic with each other, and the other type you meet in the next chapter. And I'm very fond of the main character of the tree folk species who oh, is nice. a professional asker of difficult questions <laughs> and is very snarky and enthusiastic and a very good foil for Cytosine, who is in charge of way too much and taking things much more <laughs> seriously. Um, that sounds I, excellent. Yeah, I, I also... The Earth in this future is starting to be taken over by these watershed-based networks, which is the new form of governance that has been able to do something about climate change. But there mm -hmm. are still leftovers of nation-state governments, and there are leftovers of corporations and billionaires who have, at this point, essentially been exiled to the artificial islands that they've Oh, we love to see that. Everything. Um, and they are a lot of fun to write. I decided when I was having a little trouble with them that what I really needed was some sexy bad guys. So <laughs> they get really into 80s glam style in the same way some people these days get into 1880s style mm -hmm. and are probably about as accurate with it and <laughs> David Bowie would not like them at all but they they care very deeply uh, about their style and their presentations and having That's them incredible. as the, the, they were a lot of fun. <sighs> nice. Um, I'm realizing now I took these questions out of sequence but you know it's Wednesday afternoon and I've had a full work day so what can you expect 
this being Tales from the Trunk, do you have any bits that just didn't make it into this final draft that you really are sad didn't make it? So originally, one of my ideas for this was that it would be about alien invasion in the sense of invasive species, that you would have very friendly, sapient uh, aliens, uh-huh. and that the one of the big conflicts would be about non-sapient species that had tagged along in the spaceship getting into the local ecology and that Mm -hmm. being an issue. And while I did a little bit with that, it really didn't end up being a big part of it. Mm -hmm. That, uh, I, I love that you brought that up because that's not something that ever would have occurred to me. And, uh, I'm sure that in some ways it still influences the final draft in, um, in you know, there was some thinking there that didn't get pulled out quite quite all the way or whatever. Um, but... Yeah, it's a very ecological book, but at the moment there's just some argument uh, <laughs> about bacteria and mm-hmm. pollinators and side of scene having great deals of trouble understanding why anyone would care if some of <laughs> the rare pollinators got out onto earth but it didn't do a ton with it so the the invasive alien species the, the invasive alien story still needs to be written mm-hmm. well uh if you don't do it somebody else listening probably will and even if you do do it somebody else probably will and that's the beauty of writing. Yes. Um, so I I made a brief mention beforehand, but uh, in addition to A Half-Built Garden coming out uh, July 27th? 26th. 26th. Uh, in addition to A Half-Built Garden coming out July 26th, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to promote for instance, The Innsmouth Legacy. The Innsmouth Legacy is uh, my first two books, Wintertide and Deep Roots. It is a historical dark fantasy, or you could describe it as cosmic, not quite horror, or <laughs> deconstructive Neil Lovecraftiana. It is a book about the fish people that Lovecraft put into internment camps and thought that was a good thing, getting out of the internment camps and trying to rebuild their community and deal with what still is, in fact, a scary, uncaring universe, including some scary, uncaring humans. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They are books that I absolutely adore and would make racist Uncle Howard deeply uncomfortable, and I am so here for that. Yes, I think of them as love-hate letters to Uncle Howard, because there are things in Lovecraft's mythos that I adore. His aliens, for example, are Mm -hmm. really delightful and not quite as scary to me as they were to him, (laughs) Um, and things that I find really deeply upsetting. And so it's a book by, about, and for Lovecraftian monsters. Fantastic. Uh, we do love to hear it. Uh, I will just give a shout out uh, to Sean and McGuire's pitch for uh, 
Wintertide that was, it's Lovecraftian monsters, but make it gay. Lovecraft would hate it. Which was all the pitch I needed to pick this up. Um, gosh, whenever, whenever that was now, I like the pandemic has compressed time so much it was that I remember... in the before times yeah it was the before times um, but 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 Seanan always has very nice things to say about my books I appreciate that yeah I I this really book appreciate is much gayer mm-hmm I really appreciate uh and you know hope that I can do that same thing albeit with a smaller platform than Sean and McGuire that like there are people out there who are really like, I don't think anybody knows about this book, but I love it and I want everybody to know about it. Um, so, you know, doing what I can for the community in that regard. Uh, in that spirit, is there anything uh, that you've been watching, listening to, otherwise consuming that you're really excited about and you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, we were talking about invasives Invasive Species, and I really loved Amelia Gorman's Guide to Invasive Species of Minnesota, which is a collection of poetry that is all around this future Minnesota that oh, cool. has sort of the same invasive species that are in Minnesota now, but they've all gotten strange and different types of life forms have combined and merged into each other and it is strange and fabulous and ecological and weirdly hopeful <laughs> oh very cool i uh i don't read a whole lot of poetry i've never read a whole lot of poetry which i think is kind of a failing on my part, but uh, that sounds extremely up my alley. Uh, and listeners, I'm sure if that is something that is up your alley, uh, that you will be delighted by it too. Links, as always, will be in the show notes, so you'll be able to find that from fine independent booksellers everywhere. Yeah, and then I'm currently about... 15 minutes of reading from the end of Rike Aoki's Light from Uncommon Stars, oh, which is nice. also strange and combining five different subgenres and extremely queer and about the power of art and legacy and changing legacy and is... A as soon as I get off this podcast, I am going to go and read the last 15 minutes of that. <sighs> Excellent. I've heard so many good things about that book, and I'm uh, very much looking forward to reading it myself. Uh, you know, the the TBR pile is never ending, but it we is, find it really ways. Uh, Ruthanna, finally, before we go, where can our listeners find you elsewhere? I have a Patreon that is under my name, um, and which I don't update as often as I should, but more than I do most other long-form stuff. I also Fair. have a weekly review column with Ann M. Pillsworth, Reading the Weird, on Tor.com. Uh, we are currently going back and forth between 
short weird fiction and N.K. Jemison's The City We Became. Fantastic. And we go at weird fiction with a uh, queer eye and girl cooties and a combination <laughs> of deconstruction and squee. Fantastic. And then I'm also on Twitter as our Emrys. Excellent. Uh, links to all of those things will be in the show notes. Ruthanna, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a delight. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be of here. Of course. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBisniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.